Good morning, Golden Country Church. For those of you who don't know, that's my beautiful wife on that video. And you did understand her correctly. She prayed and God controlled the IRS on her behalf. So just putting that word in your mind, I know we're getting ready for refund season. And maybe that's something you need to be praying about. I'm so glad to see you. I just appreciate your presence. I know that the weather's been bad, and you probably had, we all could have had any number of reasons not to be here, but you're here, and I deeply appreciate that. I want to start off by just allowing you to examine yourselves for just a moment. I've got some questions I want you to answer honestly, just kind of in your head, if you would, just for a moment. Uh, When was the last time that God spoke to you with such clarity that it amazed you? When was the last time that God revealed his presence to you in such a way that it overwhelmed you? When was the last time God so obviously answered one of your prayers that it blew you away? When was the last time God so worked through you in another person's life that it astounded you? When was the last time that God did something for you that wowed you? It's been a while. I might know what the problem is. Perhaps you've lost the wow factor. You're no longer seeing the distinct results of the activity of God in your life. If that's the case, you're in the right place. We're in a sermon series entitled The Wow Factor. And in this series, we're studying the Bible together in the hopes of learning what it takes to restore the wow factor to our lives. So, are you ready to just kind of settle in and study the Bible together for a minute? Good, good. I want to tell you a story this morning found in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, chapter 4, verse 8 through 37. It's going to take me a minute, and it's one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. It really centers around a man named Elisha. And Elisha was a prophet, which means that he spoke for God. Now, he wasn't just any prophet. He was kind of the leading prophet. He was God's primary voice to his entire country, Israel. He was a guy that had clout. Uh, Kings consulted with Elisha. Can you imagine that? Preacher, this is king such and such. Can we have a word? Military commanders consulted with Elisha. Everybody in Israel knew who Elisha was. I would kind of compare him to Billy Graham in our generation. Now, he was an itinerant prophet, which simply means he didn't have a home base like this church where he would speak for God and people would come to hear him, but he went from village to village and town to town speaking for God. 
Occasionally, he would go into this town called Shunem. And the Bible tells us that in this town, there was this wealthy woman who wanted to bless Elisha. So she cooked him a meal and invited him over for supper, and he came and he ate. And the Bible says that after that, any time he was in Shunem, he would go by her house for a home-cooked meal. Now, we've got to stop right here because there are a couple of valuable lessons you can't afford to miss. You ever wondered how to bless your preacher? Feed your preacher. That's exactly what you need to do. But, with a warning, once you feed the preacher, you can't get rid of the preacher. He's coming back over and over and over again. One day, Elisha, excuse me, the widow sat down with her husband, and she said to him, matter of fact, I want us to read verse 9 together. She said to her husband, I am sure, and I want you to notice her wording because this is all going to come back in just a minute. I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. I'm sure of it. What does that mean? I'm sure that he's a holy man of God. She's saying, I have absolute confidence, no doubt whatsoever, that this man knows God, lives for God, and serves God. Then she pitched an idea to her husband. She said, I would like to do something else to bless him. I would like for us to build an apartment on the roof of our house, nothing big, nothing elaborate, just enough room for a bed, a chair, a table, and a lamp. And I want... I want the prophet, Elisha, to be able to use this when he comes into town so he's got a place to stay. Well, this guy bought in. They built the apartment. She shared shared it with Elisha. Elisha began to stay there any time he came to shoot him. So one day he had been out speaking for God, and he comes back to the apartment. He's lying on his bed, and his servant is in the room with him, whose name was Gehazi. And he looked at Gehazi, and he said, Why don't you go get the Shunammite woman, for me, I want to talk to her. And so Gehazi fetches her upstairs. She comes to the doorway. And Elisha looked at him and said, You know what? Gehazi and I deeply appreciate everything that you've ever done for us. And what we would love to do is is just show our appreciation by extending to you some kindness. Now, if you want to know what kind of clout he had, he looked at her and he said, Is there anything that I can say to the king on your behalf? You need any favors from the king? Then he said, is there anything that perhaps I could speak to the commander of the armies of Israel? Anything you need the armies to do? I don't know if he's insinuating that she needed somebody, you know, eliminated or what. But he says, do you need me to speak to anybody on your behalf? And she said, nope, nope, I don't. I'm good. She said, you know, I don't have anything I lack. We're wealthy. My family takes care of me. Thanks, but no thanks. She leaves. Well, Elisha's still sitting there, and he's thinking to himself, I don't know, I want to do something. He looks at Gehazi, and he said, you were here during the conversation. What do you suggest? And he said, she doesn't have a child. And her husband's an old man. So the light bulb goes on over Elisha's head, and I believe God must have spoken to him, and he said, go get her. She comes up, and he looks at her, and he says, "Uh, by this time next year, you're going to hold a son in your arms. Now, her response was a little bit surprising to me. Uh, She said respectfully but firmly, don't mess with me. Don't you play games with me, preacher. Don't you get my hopes up. Apparently, she leaves, but the Bible says she conceived and she gave birth to a son. Now, several years later, 
this boy goes out into the fields with his father and the servants, and they're working, and the boy begins to complain of a headache. And so his father goes to one of the servants, and he says, my son is sick, so I want you, if you would, take him home to his mother. And so the servant did that. The mother takes the boy in her arms, and she's trying to comfort him, and then all of a sudden, the unthinkable happens. The boy dies. Right there in his mother's arms. She carries the boy up a flight of stairs, goes to the prophet's apartment, opens the door, takes her son in. She laid him on the prophet's bed. She went down to her husband and said, get me a servant and get me a donkey because I got to go see the preacher and I'll hurry right back. Now, how does the husband respond? Again, I want you to look at this with me. I think it's significant what we're going to see here. The husband asks, why go today? Ask. It's neither a new moon festival or a Sabbath. And what he's saying is, why are you going to go see the preacher today? It's not Sunday. And I haven't heard that they're having a revival service over there. Why are you going to see him? Now, I want you to look what she said. But she said, are you seeing this? It'll be all right. That's all she told him. And so she saddled the donkey, she looked at the servant, and she said, we got to get to Mount Carmel, that's where Elisha was. That's about 25 miles away, and she said, we got to get there in a hurry. Don't slow down for any reason. You hold the pedal to the floor. And so Elisha the prophet sees this woman coming, and what does he do? I want you to look at verse number 26. He says to Gehazi, his servant, run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right? With you, your husband, and your child. So Gehazi apparently does. He goes out and meet her, asks the question. Look what she says. She says, yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. Then look what happens in verse 30. Excuse me, verse 27. But when she came to the man of God, Elisha, at the mountain, She's different. I want you to look at this. She's completely different. She fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away. You know what he's thinking? This is inappropriate. He begins to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. I want you to see this. She is deeply troubled. But the Lord has not told me what it is. She hears him say this. She, she begins to explain to him what has happened. My son just died. And she begins to pour out her soul to him and let him know what she was feeling, her grief. And apparently she asked him to pray for not her, her deceased son. Elisha speaks to Gehazi and says, grab my staff and you get to shoot him as quickly as you can. And you put my staff on the boy. Now here's what Elisha is thinking. He's thinking that somehow or another God would use his staff or walking stick as a conduit of God's power. Maybe God will channel his power through my walking stick into that boy and raise him back to life. And so Gehazi 
takes off. Now, as you look, the woman has heard this. She sees what's going on. And in verse number 30, she says, But the boy's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Now, this is what I believe she said. Hodge paraphrase. She said, Hey, with all due respect to Gehazi, I didn't come for him. I came for you. And I will not go back unless you go with me. So he packed his things up and they struck out for Shunem. And by the time they got to this apartment, Gehazi has already been. He's already put the staff on the boy. Nothing happened. He comes down and reports to Elisha and the boy's mom that he is still dead. Now, I want you to look at verse number 32. We're going to read the rest of the story. It said, when Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him. Now, you've got to just picture this. He looks at Gehazi and says, you just, if you would, let me do this by myself. Looked at her. Mom, I know how you're grieving. I know your heart's broken, but I want you to stay out here. I want to go in there by myself. He walks in, he closes the door, and I want you to look what he did because this is absolutely significant. He went in alone and shut the door behind him, and what does that say? He prayed to the Lord. i got to be honest with you. This dude, he is praying for God to resurrect this child from the dead. Man, that's a big, bold request, don't you think? He prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. Now, what in the world is he doing here, Ron? I don't know, but I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that he's recognized something. God doesn't channel his power through inanimate objects. He got that. You can throw the staff out the window. But I tell you what I believe that he's thinking. I do think that God may very well channel his power through human beings. And he may especially channel his power through people who pray. And I think that's what he's thinking. And I believe that's what he's praying. God, if you would just pour your miraculous, unlimited power into me and then through me into this child's body, perhaps you will raise him from the dead. Now let's just look what happened. As he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. You know what it's telling me? It's working. Man, it is starting to work. It wasn't instantaneous, but it's starting to work. Verse 35, look what he did. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once. I don't have any proof of this, but I would bet everything I got, all $27 in my bank account, I would bet you I know what he did when he got up and walked across the room. I bet he was continuing to pray. Look what he did. And then he stretched himself out on the child again. This time the boy sneezed seven times. Dead people don't sneeze, do they? He sneezed seven times and opened up his eyes. Now i got to wonder who was the most shocked. Was it Elisha when God raised the boy or the boy when he woke up and the preacher was laying on top of him? A preacher? uh...
I bet you I know what Elisha said. When the boy opened his eyes, I bet he said, wow. What do you think about that? Wow. Look what he did, verse 36. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi. I believe he opened the door. Mom went in there and said, Gehazi, come in here a minute. So Gehazi goes walking in. And you know what he sees? He sees the boy up walking around. I bet I know what Gehazi said when he saw the kid walking around the room. What do you think he said? Wow. Dude, what happened? What what went on here? So he goes against Gehazi. And uh, he said, call the child's mother. Man, what a scene this must have been. And when she came in. Elisha said, here, take your boy. Take your son. When she saw her son alive, I think she must have said, she fell at Elisha's feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Just a few hours earlier, she fell at his feet, overwhelmed with grief. Now she's at his feet, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. What do we learn in this story? Pretty simple lesson. People who pray are wowed by God. Now, if you've been here the previous two sermons, you know that's the same lesson we've learned in each of the first two sermons. But in each of those sermons, there was a more specific lesson that we found. In the first sermon, we learned that people who pray sincerely are wowed by God. In the second sermon, we learned that people who pray together are wowed by God. So what is our specific lesson from this story? You ready? People who pray for others are wowed by God. Prayer is the opportunity for limited human beings to speak to the unlimited God, knowing that he's listening and will eventually act on our behalf. We got that, right? However, I want you to listen carefully. Prayer is also the opportunity for limited human beings to speak to the unlimited God on behalf of others. Knowing that he is listening. He will eventually act on their behalf. People who pray for others will be wowed by God. So what should we do? Let's start praying for others. Now to do that, to do that to the degree that I feel like God wants, all of us are going to have to be two things. Number one, we've got to be trustworthy. Let me explain myself. We must all aspire to become the kind of people that others want to be praying for them. And what kind of person is that? A trustworthy person. The woman in our story walked right past two men and did not ask them to pray for her son. She hid her pain behind the veiled reply, everything is fine. 
Now, the first time I read this, I thought, man, this woman is filled with great faith. I don't think so. When she got to Elisha, she revealed the extent of her pain. She was deeply troubled. Why do you think she would walk past her own husband and Elisha's apprentice? She obviously didn't trust them to pray for her son. She walked right past them to get to the man that she trusted, Elisha. And what was it about this man that had, that had caused him to earn her trust? He was real. She knew that he really knew God and that he really lived for God and that he really served God. And this confidence was the byproduct of years of observation. She was so confident in Elisha's prayers that she rode 25 miles on a donkey just to deliver her prayer request. And in the process, passed up two guys along the way. As a matter of fact, she told Elisha this, you either go with me or I'm not going back. Listen carefully to what I'm saying to you. I don't want any of us to be the kind of people that others would walk past when they need prayer. I want each of us to be the kind of person others would seek out when they need prayer. A trustworthy person. So let's be real. When people listen to us or when they observe our lives, it should be obvious that we know God, that we live for God and that we serve God. It should be obvious to them that they can trust our prayers. And so we've got to be trustworthy. But number two, we've got to be trusting. Everything wasn't fine. Now listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Everything wasn't fine in this woman's life. Yet she kept telling people that it was. She refused to trust her husband and Gehazi with the truth. What if she had not trusted anyone enough To tell them what had happened. I fear that her story would have ended quite differently. Fortunately, she did trust someone, Elisha. And she told him, this is what has happened. This is what I'm failing. And this is what I need. Elisha prayed for her son and... What a difference it made. God wowed them all. How many times in a given week does somebody ask you, how are you doing? And every time you answer, everything's fine. But the truth is, everything's not fine. And as long as you keep trustworthy people closed out, I doubt everything will ever be fine. At some point, you've got to trust someone enough to tell them the truth. And when they ask, how are you doing? You answer, well, everything's not fine. My marriage is failing. 
I strongly suspect that my oldest son might be on drugs. The diagnosis two weeks ago was positive. Our home is about to go into foreclosure. I'm losing my battle with depression. I've developed an addiction to porn. I'm abusing prescription drugs. If it's not fine, you need to identify someone you trust and tell them what is happening and get them to pray for you. Don't cheat them out of an opportunity to be wowed by God as he answers their prayers for you. People who pray for others are wowed by God, but they can't pray for you until they know what you're facing. So trust someone and let others pray for you and you pray for others. Because people who pray for others are wowed by God. I pray for circles of people. That's what I call them. For example, one of my circles I call the family circle. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I pray for my family. I pray for my family often. One of my circles I call the seeker circle. And the seeker circle is comprised of friends of mine that I suspect are looking for God. And he's looking for them. But they just haven't gotten together yet. And so I pray that they'll get together. That they'll find each other. January a year ago, a good friend of mine came walking through the doors of our church. We were meeting at the high school, and his name is Tony Rogers. And uh, Tony, I want you to do me a favor. Just throw your hand up. I want, I'm going to give everybody permission. Look at me this direction. See that hand, that big hand right there? That's Tony. Tony and I went to high school together, and he has sworn to secrecy about things that he knows about me, and I just keep telling everything I know about him. <laughs> One morning when I was praying, Tony came to my mind. I felt like God said, you need to put Tony in your seeker circle. Because Tony's looking for God, looking for me, and I'm looking for him, and you need to pray that we could get together. So I started praying for Tony on a regular basis. And one Sunday in the spring, he came to me and expressed a desire to have a modern translation of the Bible. So I went to the bookstore and got him one. I got him a New Living Translation study Bible. Top of the line. A lot better than my Bible, Tony, I can tell you that. So I came to church and I said, Tony, don't you get out of here until I, I've got something for you. I want to give it to you. So after the service, we went to my office and I, I gave him the Bible. I gave him kind of a brief explanation of how to use it. And Tony, in the course of the conversation, he said, since I've been saved, and I tell you, he lost me at that. I really didn't hear anything else he said. And 
And I, I, I let him finish his thought, and I said, Tony, I want to go back to something you said. You just said, since I've been saved, do you mind me asking, when did you get saved? And he said, the first Sunday we met in this building, you gave an invitation, and I accepted Christ. And he said, I raised my hand real high because I wanted you to know that I was saved. I said, well, I don't know how I did it, but I missed that big hand somehow. I said, I guess it's a good thing because I would have hurt somebody trying to get to you if I'd have seen that. I began to weep. He began to weep. I'll give you one guess, the word that came into my mind. Wow. Wow, God. Wow, my kid. Mother's Day, I baptized him. He came to eat with us Monday night. After we had eaten, we were sitting there talking, and Tony began to explain to Lynn and I what his morning routine is like. He said, I make myself a cup of coffee. I start reading the Bible. He said, I really take my time with it and reflect on what I read. And then I pray. And he said, here lately, I can't tell you how I'm beginning to experience the presence of God in these moments. He said, y'all, it's like there's somebody else in the house with me. What was I thinking? Wow. Thank you, God. I called him up this morning. I said, man, would you mind if I told a little of your story? Because I'm wowed at what God is doing in your life. He said, you tell it because he's wowing me too. Here's what I'm saying, guys. There's somebody in your world. There are people all in your world that you're responsible to pray for. You have family members that are counting on you to pray for them. Co-workers, neighbors. They're counting on you. Pray for them. Pray for them sincerely. Pray for them often. There are people in your world who are looking for God and He's looking for them. And they just haven't gotten together yet. And let me tell you what I want you to do. Start yourself a seeker circle and you start praying for them on a regular basis. And I promise you, I know what is going to happen. Because people who pray for others are wowed by God. So why don't we just do that right now? I'm going to ask that every head be bowed, all eyes be closed, and this is not something I do to be, make just be weird. All I want to do is create a private place for you in this public setting, in this gathering. Now, I don't want us to leave 
Don't you? We have all prayed for someone. I want you to take a, a long look at your life. Maybe in particular a long look at your week. If there is anything, anything that you need to talk to God about and you need to make it right with Him so that your prayers aren't in any way hindered or affected, why don't you just take a few moments to do that? Before we ask Him for anything... I just want you to take a quick inventory of, of how he's blessed you. In particular this week, what has he done? How has he shown his power and his faithfulness to you? And I want you to thank him. Now who is it? it in your world that could really use your prayers right now pray for them will you pray for them you know anybody that searching, seeking. Somebody a little disconnected from God right now. Somebody you care about deeply. Will you pray for them right now? Pray for them. encourage you don't let this be the last time keep praying you be the Elisha in your world just take a moment to thank God for listening to you thank each and every one of you for coming and for listening and, and guys more than anything I guess this, this sermon really is best applied after we walk through those doors let's pray for each other let's pray for others you're dismissed thank you